Praise the Lord. We'd like to release our children at this time. Encourage all of the children, visitors and just all, to just go back and enjoy kids' corner. They'll be blessed, and you'll be blessed as they're ministered to at their level. Praise God. Would you please turn with me for the Scripture to the third chapter of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. And what prompted, I guess, me to start looking into this message, which I'm going to call scriptural baptism, was that we baptized last Sunday morning, and we just uh, we had a number of people to be baptized, and I had called. We had a number of kids and some adults, and I in calling the the parents uh, to see if it was okay if they got to be baptized to, to baptize the children because. I guess about three or four months ago in, in Kids Corner, they had just had an explosion one morning, and the Holy Spirit moved so mightily, and we had, it must have had, I don't know, eight, ten kids got saved in one morning service. And it was just a glorious time, and I guess in the back of my mind, it started prompting me that we need to get these kids baptized, and out of that came that maybe we needed a, a teaching on baptism, scriptural baptism. And so we want to look into that today. And, and uh, in calling some of the parents last week, they, they said statements to me such as, well, the mother and I, we're of, of different religion. You know, they say, I'm such and such and see such and such. And we're talking about this. And, and in the back of my, my mind, I thought, why in the world didn't you think, why didn't you talk about this when you were dating one another? And I'd, and I'd call another parent and they'd say, well, we, we, we don't know, uh, we, we're, we're thinking about it. And I thought, I thought, after you found out your kid got saved, why didn't you know something about this? So I think as a church, it's good to teach, uh, not only on things like, uh, tithing, but I think we need to teach on baptism and commitment periodically so that the church can be thoroughly furnished. So we're looking at Matthew chapter three today as our base scripture. We're going to be looking at scriptural baptism, scriptural baptism. Matthew 3, verses 13 to the end of the chapter says this, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer, or allow it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed or suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Those are powerful words. A powerful experience that's related to us in that short passage of Scripture. Baptism, scriptural baptism is not just something, uh, it's not just a ritualistic thing that we do. Most Christians get saved and they sit in churches. And when the baptism time comes, as we did, we baptized many up here and, and in other churches that we baptized in and I've been in. And I, I've, I've looked at the faces of people when the baptism was going on and I could see in their eyes that they were seeing it just as a ritualism. They were seeing it as a, as a format or just a, just a waste of time or, or, or maybe some are sitting there and in their mind, you could almost see them balancing their checkbook or, or running over their checklist, what they're going to do next week, or planning tomorrow while they waited for this ritual or this thing just to be accomplished in the church. Just waiting for it to end, not really considering it. And, and sadly to say, a lot of pastors even look at it the same way. If we don't keep some spiritual truths before us, we will lose what we get. There is a truth in Scripture as there is in the natural. What you don't use, you will lose. 
And a lot of pastors even just look at this. They don't, uh, they don't look and w- or work at this thing about baptism. They just use it sometime as a gap filler in the service. Something to impress the people. They just do it on and say, well, we're gonna, we're gonna designate certain days of the, of the calendar year. Some, some may not baptize, but once or twice or three times a year. Some may be baptized just on one day of the month, on a certain day. Well, we're gonna look into these things today. But Jesus in this passage of scripture that I've just read into your understanding says that scriptural baptism opens a door. It opens a door in your life for God's will to be done through and to you. He said, suffer or allow it to be so for now, for it becometh us. It becometh us. Become, if you wear something that's becoming, it looks good on you. You don't buy, you don't buy things that don't, that, that doesn't but look good on you, right? You, you, you seek out those things and, and you find clothing that fits you. Well, the scripture put those things in there. He says, it's becoming to us. It is proper that we do this. It is suitable. Suitable. We are suited up. It, it fashions us. Looking back into the Old Testament, our minds have to be renewed to the Word of God. We have to go from our present experience to the, to the New Testament first century time. Then we have to allow our experience to go right on back through the Old Testament. And even before the Old Testament. Because Jeremiah was seeing visions of this in the vision that he saw, where he said in Jeremiah 4, I beheld, and lo, there was no man. And all the birds of heaven were fled. And I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness. And all the cities were broken down. And he goes on to say, in preface to to the the whole thing that we're going to be looking about today, he says, I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form, and it was void. You see, Jeremiah was giving the same revelation that God gave to us in Genesis 1-2 after the, the great climatic work in Genesis 1-1. When he started in Genesis 1-2, Jeremiah reached back by the power of the Holy Spirit into that where it says, and the earth was without form and was void. There was there, The world was there, but it was in chaotic condition. And Jeremiah was seeing that in vision form. This was before there was any covenant with man. No covenant with man. Actually, before man was. God was establishing deliverance. And Jeremiah saw this. You see, a covenant with God and the movings of God through a covenant. We know that there was no covenant there. Because a covenant requires cutting and it requires blood. We don't know. Now, what I've just read to you, please understand, that is before Genesis 1-2. It happened someplace between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Jeremiah saw this vision that the cities were broken down. There was no man. There was no bird. There was chaos. So there were cities and there was people and there was a a world system before Genesis 1-2 that had become broken down. And there was no covenant. We don't understand what happened back then. But in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And we're looking at spiritual, scriptural baptism. Let there be a firmament in the middle of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. The world is being baptized in that scripture. Do you catch it? Let the waters divide. The firmament, let the firmament come out of the, out of the waters. Waters all, all around in the earth. The firmament is coming up. The world is being baptized. 
We start to see it. This is the first place, recorded place in the Scriptures where God starts to show us scriptural baptism. You see, there's a law in Scripture that says that the law of first mention, that is the place and the way that something is mentioned the first time is the way that you can apply that throughout the rest of the Scripture. So we're laying the foundation here for scriptural baptism. And God used this firmament that was coming up out of the baptism to produce out of that. He was producing a reproductive system. Do you catch the import of that? Do you catch the import of it to we who are New Testament believers? He was creating out of a baptism experience a reproductive process. The people of Adam were, uh, the people were going to be formed, Adam and his race, out of that firmament that God was bringing up out of the earth. Where did God make Adam? How did Adam get here? God took clay of the earth and molded him out of that firmament that came up out of that earthly baptism. And then the vegetation grew. And all the fruitful places, the trees that were there, were, were, were coming up again. God, had, God caused the vegetation and the fruit to come forth. People and fruit came out of a baptism experience of the earth. And the cattle of the earth came forth. Cattle in the Old Testament is an extension of the commerce and the trade and the, the opulence and the prosperity. Two things basically established prosperity in the Old Testament. Your lineage and what you had. Isn't that right? How many kids you had and how much goods you had. Can I tell you, it's not, it's not that divorced in the New Testament. We're talking about reproduction. God looks at us. We are to be reproducing people. We are not called to sit on church pews. And I sit here Sunday after Sunday and I look at empty pews and the heart breaks. And we are to be reproducing. And many of our people, uh, e even those today are someplace. Some are justified. Some are not justified. Some are vessels of honor. Some are vessels of dishonor. Not that the dishonor are lost or anything, but they're just not being used fully as God would. And it disturbs me to look around and see empty pews. We are to be re reproducing out of the baptismal experience. God used that to cause reproduction to take place. In the Old Testament, where the Old Covenant was, we see baptismal importance in that. Where in Exodus, God said to Moses about Israel, I will bring you up out of. Doesn't that sound just like baptismal terminology? Come on, you got to talk to me, church. Doesn't that sound like baptismal terminology? You got to come out of. I'm going to take them up out of affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. But first, Israel had to go down into the sea, and they had to come up out of. Sounds like baptism, doesn't it? Sounds like baptism. They went down into the water, and they came up out of it. And while they were walking through there, while they were going through that experience, they were walking on solid ground. You can't get away from God. He's wherever you are. Even when you think you're submerged in things, God is still there with you. He's still working. He's still keeping you. You still got your foot planted on the solid rock. Doesn't that give you a, a sense of, of, of preservation, a sense of security? It did to Israel. And when they came up out of the water, they came up a prosperous people. They brought with them the wealth of Egypt. Dr. Ferentino preached that to us just a couple of, maybe it was last Sunday, where when they came out, they raped, Israel, they raped Egypt with a holy raping. They brought all of the wealth out, and they were glad to give it to them. Doesn't the New Testament say that the wealth of the world is laid up for the saints? How many of you like to live in poverty? 
How many of you like to live paycheck to paycheck? How many of you like to live day by day, week to week? How many of you have done that with me? My hand is raised. How many of you have had to live paycheck to paycheck? How many of you have had to wait for things because you couldn't afford them? And you know why we did it? Because we were ignorant. Ignorance will steal and kill and destroy in your life. Hallelujah. But when they came up, they came up with prosperity. They had the treasures of Egypt. They came up protected miraculously because that persecution of, of Pharaoh's army was still hot on their trail even when they were going through that great move of God. The miracle of God was all around them as they looked. And I'm sorry, Hollywood and some of the liberal theologians, it wasn't a little, a little trickle of water because it said it was, it was solid ground. It said the walls we're like a, was like a tunnel of them and, and six plus million people walked through that thing. I don't know how God did it. None of my business how he did it. It's just my business to believe that he said it. And they came up out of that experience and they were protected miraculously and the army and their, their pursuers were miraculously drowned. And, and I've heard people say before, if it was no miracle, and if it was just a little bit of water about so deep, then how did they kill all the armies of Egypt? That would have been a greater miracle. But I choose the one that God said he just rolled back the walls and they went through. I'm telling you, when you go through your situation and it looks like the enemy is hot on your trail, when your back's to the sea and your enemies is in your eyes and you don't look like you have a way to go, I'm telling you, we serve a God who can make a way when there seems to be no way. I wish somebody would say amen. Hallelujah. The Word of God deserves agreement in our lives. Praise God. Get, get excited with me. I want you to catch this thing about spiritual baptism. And the scripture I've just read there in Exodus chapter 3, they mention six names of six nations of people, the Hittites and the Canaanites and all the other rites. And there were six of those peoples listed. And don't you know that the six is the number of man? In biblical numerics, six is the number of man. Adam was created on the sixth day. That's the number of man. Satan's number is six. Six, six, six. If you want to multiply it out in this, in this, uh, in this New Testament concept of sin, building upon sin, building upon sin, building upon sin, evil getting more and more destructive. At the first man, Adam, failed, and from that came a six. And then all the other perpetration came a six, six. In the, in, throughout the, the concepts. And then when you get to the fullness of Satan, it gets to be six, six, six. The, uh, the uncompleted, the frustration. God's number is what? Hallelujah. Completeness. Three or seven are God's number. Satan's never going to make it. You were a six at one time, but now you're a seven. Hallelujah. You're a seven. You are perfected, the Word says. You're perfect, the Word says. You walk as God, the Word says. Do you believe that? Do you believe it's it's ostentatious of you to say that you can do what Jesus did? That God loves you as much as He loves Christ? Oh, I would never say that. You better say it. You better learn to say it. Hallelujah. It's time of this false piousness getting out of our theology and learning who we are in Christ and standing up. But all of the, these ites were there. Don't you know that Satan will come against you? The nations of the world can come against you. There will be times when you're the only one who has the word. Everybody around you will be in ignorance. In the Old Testament covenant, we see that baptism is important because Israel, through their disobedience and because of their lack of faith, and that's what took the blessings of God. And when they came up out of that sea, were strictly before them. Anything that they wanted, God was preparing to do to take them in. But because of disobedience and because of lack of faith, they could not enter in because they wouldn't do it God's way. It was full of benefits, full of God's provisions, 
But they could not enter in. You see, and after that, God had to set bounds upon them. When we won't act upon God's Word, God has no alternative but to set bounds upon our life. Because you cannot enter into the fullness of God when you're walking without faith and when you are walking in disobedience. I'm sorry. You can want to do it your way and you can be basically a good person until the things happen that cause you a problem and then you revert to your old nature and your old personality. I'm telling you, you will never experience the fullness of God as long as you allow situations and people to stand between you and God. And you be a self-serving, self-willed person that you will never produce prosperity and protection in your life. God had to set bounds on Israel. He brought them to the mountain and they had no bread and they had no water, not because God didn't want to give it to them, but because of their disobedience. You know, disobedience will shut up the blessings of God. It'll shut up the natural flow of you. You can be, you and I can be just such a, 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 a nasty individual that people just won't, don't want you to work for them. More trouble than good. That happened. More trouble than good. You can't eat. And spiritually, it's the same thing. Israel had no bread because of disobedience. No faith. And they had no water to drink. And their prayers were not getting answered. They had to use an intermediary. And they chose it that way. And God said in Exodus 19, we're talking about scriptural baptism, church. Thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mountain, or touch it, or touch the borders of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall surely be put to death. God says, You want it this way? Honey, you can have it. But you're going to have to depend on somebody else to get your blessing. You're going to have to depend upon Moses to do it. He's the only one I'm going to allow to come up into my mountain. You can't even touch the borders of it. Can't you see the, can't you see the preposterousness of the faith of that little woman? How she was exhibiting preposterous faith in the, in the eyes of the people when she had the audacity to reach out unworthily and just grab the border or the hem of God's mountain and touch Jesus for her need. She overbroke tradition and touched the hem of his garment. And Israel refused to accept the benefits of what their baptism experience had done. They had spent all of those hundreds of years in captivity, in subjection to men. And God, in, in just a short time, one night, brought them out. How many times have you laid before God saying, God, Move on this thing in my life. Move on it. Move on it. And for weeks and maybe years sometime you've cried out. And then in one night, God's worked it all out in your life. You can testify to that, can't you? God miraculously has worked in your life. When there were bounds set upon you. Israel had refused to accept the benefits of what baptism could do for them. And even when they get to the tabernacle and when they get to the temple, the priests were still bound because of disobedience. And they had only the priests and the people was bound. And the priests could only go into the, into the areas where the sacrifice were. The people could go so far. And then the priests could go so far. The priests had to take the needs of the people and carry it to the sacrifice to the killing of the lamb. And then they would take take it from the slaying place and they would take it to the altar and they would lay it on the brazen altar and it would be burned. And then the priest then could go to the laver and they could be washed. They could be washed in, but you couldn't get to the laver until you went to the altar of sacrifice. How many know that? How many know you can't bypass the altar of sacrifice and go directly to the laver? How many of you know that you can't get clean of God until you get saved? How many of you know that you can't start moving on God unless you are willing to follow God's progressive plan? They had to kill the sacrifice. You had to kill your sacrifice. God would not do it until you were willing to slit its throat 
and let the life of that thing flow out away from you and let the high priest take it to the sacrifice place of God and have that thing accepted there the proper way. And then you could go to the labor and be washed and be clean. But you see, if the priest didn't go to the labor, then they couldn't park the pillars, the five pillars, and go into the holy place where there was light of the candlestick and where there was the showbread to be eaten and where there was the altar of incense which is representative of prayers. They couldn't go in there until they were clean. And a lot of Christians wonder, why can't I hear from God? Why can't I understand what God's saying to me? Why, when I read the Word and I eat of it, it doesn't speak to me? Why, when I pray, my tears don't seem to get any higher than that? It's because you haven't passed. You tried to go from the sacrifice into the holy place, and it won't work. you got to go to the labor and get clean. you got to do it one step at a time the way God said to do it. There's a progression in this thing. There are steps involved. There are phases involved. And there are rooms that we must go from one room to the other. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. That means places, rooms. And, and you could take that and, and do a thousand spiritual applications. And in spiritual baptism, I'll tell you, there are ways and there are rooms that you have to enter into. You can't get to the next one before you go through this one. Some people try to bypass the spiritual process. Remember old Naaman there in the Old Testament? The Syrian. Leprosy had him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Terrible infirmity. And he heard a witnessing word from a little slave. How many today are waiting for a witnessing word from one of God's slaves so that they can be healed and be cleansed? And he heard the word. He heard the word that he needed for the hour through the mouth, passed down to his, from the little servant woman to his wife, to him. And he heard the word. But even then, in all that need with the right word of God, coming from a right witness of God, he almost missed his healing. Why did he do that? Because, first of all, of pride. Because I just look so good in my army suit. Who said, I ought to just make a command and have that guy come over here and do what he's going to do? Why do I have to go to him? Doesn't he know how important I am? God, don't you know how important I am? I pastor a certain church. But Lord, I'm healed. Why don't you heal me? Why don't you heal me? You know I need healing. I'm sitting in the pew, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm busy with you, with doing your things. Pride, God said. Pride. You're in the middle of the high tides and the Amorites and, and the Jebusites. You can't have pride. You've got to get before my spirit and rebellion. Rebellion will keep you away from that. Naaman was in rebellion. He had heard the witness. He had the word of how to do it. And he almost missed because of a rebellious spirit. But then finally at last, blessed his little old heart. Even with, he just acted on nothing but the word. And he went. He went according to the word of a witness. And then he got the wet word that was sent to bring him through the healing process. But with the word, then he had to do it the right way. You can have the word and you can still miss it. Can you hear that? You can have the word of God, exactly what God says, and you can still miss God if you don't do it the way God says to do it. A lot of people this morning, a lot of people this morning are sitting in front of their TV sets right now trying to get the, the fullness of God into their life while they're watching some place out of the, the Zion of Texas or the Zion of California or the Zion of Orlando. 
And if you don't think it happens, you ought to sit with me at my desk in the college for about two or three days of the week, and I'll pick it up, and somebody says to me, I understand that Benny Hinn holds a degree from your college. And I say, that's right. I understand that Copeland's holding a degree from your college. I say, that's right. Well, that's one reason why we were drawn to you. And I think, my God, didn't you hear the Holy Spirit? Who are you following? We thank God for the Hens and the Copelands. Praise God for them and for their ministry. We pray for them all the time. But I'm telling you, we've got to hear God for ourselves. Because when you miss God, you can call Brother Hen and you can call Brother Copeland. And if you can get to them, they might give you a sympathetic word. But you, the Holy Spirit's going to be right there to minister directly. And he went to the man of God. And he was told how to do it. And again, almost missed it. Didn't want to go to that old river Jordan to dip seven times. Lord, I don't want to leave this comfortable place where I am and go over there. That place is dirty over there. It's cruddy. I, I won't look good. They won't appreciate me over there. I'll look out of place. My, 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 uh, my reputation. You know, Lord, my reputation goes before me. He says, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go before you. I want you to get rid of it. Get my reputation in it. But Naaman went, and he went down, it says in Second Kings, if you want to read the story there in chapter 5. He said, and Naaman went down into the water and dipped himself. And that means he submerged himself from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. That old dirty water was underneath him, all around him on the top of his head. Don't you know that when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes at you, or when you go through God's salvation, the water that you go down into and come out of, it's dirty water because it carries the filth away from you. Your washed water is not cleaner when you get into it in the natural than it was when you get out of it. It washes off the dirt. And the same thing in God's spiritual baptism. It washes off the dirt out of your life. And he went down into it seven times the perfect way. The perfect time. He did it perfectly before God. And he did it according to the saying of the man of God. What Naaman, or what I, uh, Elisha told him to do, I'm not going to do what that pastor tells me to do. I don't like his personality. I don't like the way he combed his hair. I don't like those pompous way of walking around. I'm not going to do what he says or she says. Don't tell me, brother, I've been pastoring too long. I've seen it. I've seen people miss the blessings of God because they started looking at me instead of the Holy Spirit. And you could probably testify to the same thing. And your heart beats for them because unless you walk in my shoes, you don't know me. And unless I walk in you, I don't, I don't know you. But it's as we fellowship together. But that's why they're coming into a church environment. You need a church home. You can't exist. You cannot survive without a church home. And I know people who won't commit to it. Rebellion. Rebellion. And they're missing God. And people sit on church pews week after week with their heels, with their spiritual heels dug in, saying, I am not going to change. I won't submit myself to that personality. Won't even talk about it. You know, there's just an outside possibility. You may be wrong. I know that sounds probably. <laughs> I had to learn that one time. I had to learn that there was just an outside possibility. I maybe have gotten the wrong impression because I'm very... I'm very quick to form opinions about people. And sometimes I've had to eat crow, I tell you. Sometimes I've had to eat spiritual crow, too. <laughs> so I know what it tastes like. It's not like I haven't been there before you. Hallelujah. Praise God. But he acted on that. And he did according to what the sayings of the man of God was. And can I tell you that when we get to the scriptural baptism part in the New Testament, I really believe ministers, I believe the fivefold, I believe the fivefold minister really should baptize. Under every circumstance being equal, I believe that ministers should baptize the people. I just, I just believe that that's scripture. I think it's more proper. Now, obviously under given circumstances, God will honor the other. But everything being equal, I think the minister, the fivefold ministry gift ought to be the one baptizing the pastor in most cases should be, should be baptizing the the people of the church. I think that the blessings will flow more freely there. And in the New Testament, we don't do it just anyway. When we take people in the baptismal pool and we prepare them for baptism, I don't say, I'm going to baptize you by all the... I just enjoy doing this. 
I can't say that to them. And although I do, I really enjoy baptizing. I have a good time baptizing, and especially enough to baptize young and very old people. I just get a kick out of baptizing young people because they've got their old life in front of them, and older people because they they slipped through the door. <laughs> they made it through. Hallelujah. How many of you know God can reclaim your years at the canker worming locusts of Eden? Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that you don't have to stay in that same old spiritual emaciation, uh, cast down way that God, all that stuff that sin has eroded out of your life, the things that we were talking about that through rebellion, when we'll come back to God, honey, he can do in one or two weeks what you would have taken you four or five years to do otherwise. He can do a quick work in your life. And I love to see him young and old come back to the Lord in baptism. But you've got to do it the way that Jesus said do it. He said in the New Testament, you're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when you put the definite articles in there, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, it is a collective, but yet it is an individual Producing of a noun. The Father is separate. You gotta baptize in His name. You gotta baptize in the name of the Son. You gotta baptize in the name of the Holy Spirit. But yet they're all in there. You can't divide them. That's the way Jesus said, I want you to do it. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jesus only people. You cannot. You are not allowed to baptize in the name of Jesus only. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry, sprinklers. You can't get away with that because you don't want to mess up somebody's hairdo. Sister Pompity Pop doesn't want to go underneath the water because she might have her hair. So we're going to sprinkle a little bit. Of, we're going to flip a little water on her and say, I baptize. That won't cut it. You won't cut it. You're robbing the people. The people are, the people are basically going to follow the shepherd. If the shepherd falls in the ditch, where do you think the people are going? In the ditch. If the shepherd walks in blindness, the people are going to stumble unless God gives you and he will give you enough light to, to show your path out of that mess. And then we have to act on it. We've got to come out of them, my people. And does that happen? Aren't you glad that God brought you out of where you were? He brought you out into the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I know many who didn't get out. They had the light, but they wouldn't. You see, they couldn't see it three or four steps out. They could only see the light that was right there, which is God providing. Sometimes he'll just give you just enough light for the next one or two steps. But he knows where the door is. If you follow him, he'll lead you out of all that dry denominationalism, out of all that deadness, out of all the high tides and genocides, and all of that spiritual Pharisaism that's in the church. Is it in the church? Is there spiritual Pharisaism in the church? Do what I do. Do what I say and don't do what I do. Act pompously, but don't move on what God is already, already showing to his people. Sure, it's there. Absolutely. Name and act it on what the man of God says. And he bad, uh, in the New Testament, the people there got baptized and we get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and Naaman's flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. That's when his flesh became as a flesh of a little child. Jesus said in Matthew 19, Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Was Jesus just talking about the fact that he liked to have little kids hanging all over his knees? <laughs> I think that was a part of it. But I believe he was saying, I want those to who will come to me in, in total obedience, listening for my word as a child will listen to those. I want those who will come to me through this scriptural baptism, having all of their sins washed away as Naaman did. And when he came up, the sixth time he went down, he still had leprosy. One time, God, I can't stand these people in this place. Second time, God, I hate this work I'm doing. Third time, God, I don't have enough money. Fourth time, God, I can't go there. You know that. Fourth time, I hate my mate. Sixth time, well, I don't know, Lord. I don't know if you can do it. Seventh time, hallelujah, I'm clean. <laughs> hallelujah. It was the seventh time that he came up and his flesh was like a little child. 
Like a little child, he says, for such is the kingdom of heaven. That's what this kingdom of heaven thing, not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of heaven. You know, the kingdom of heaven is inside the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven is, is where Jesus is the Lord. For Jesus is Lord. I believe him. I don't care what the circumstances look like. Jesus, I believe your word. I believe you'll heal me when 42 doctors have given me up. I believe that you'll touch my pocketbook and, and sew up the holes in it when nobody will give me another dime. I believe you can do that. I think you can heal my family and give me rapport once again with my mate when, when all the marriage casters have said this thing will fail. I believe you can do that. And in Matthew 3, we just read that Jesus said on baptism, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Did you get that? It becometh us. It looks good on us. It is fashionable to us to be baptized. For it through that, you come like a little child. Through that, you get cleaned. Through that, you are then able to fulfill all righteousness. After conversion, after you accept Christ, after you say yes to Him, I receive your sacrifice for me. Baptism in water is the next immediate step that a Christian should do. It's the next step. It's the next door that a Christian should go through. I even believe it takes precedence. Everything being equal over the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I really believe that it does. We've got to get washed. We've got to get where God can keep us in His progressional flow. We've got to stay where the Holy Spirit is doing. We've got to stay in the right room at the right time. You see, it's not just a covering of sin, but it is a washing away of the sin nature in a person. You get clean. You can look at yourself. And when you walk away, you don't forget what you look like. The Old Testament priest, as soon as he looked into that labor and was clean, he walked away and he couldn't remember. But a New Testament believer, when you are washed of God and you are following Him, then when you look retrospectively as the Holy Spirit lets you look through that water, you can walk and see who you are in Christ. You ought to know where you stand in God. It's not important for me in the final analysis, to know where you stand with God. I appreciate knowing that. And after we walk together for a while, I can just about tell where you are in God. But it is vitally important that you know where you are in God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days to our current year. Moment by moment, you've got to know where you are in God. Willing to turn the light of God's light upon you and the water of the Word, let it wash out of you so that you can say retrospectively before the Holy Spirit, baptism is not a covering. It's a washing away. It's a cutting away of the flesh, of the old sin nature. Compliments the conversion experience and completes that experience to its fullest. Jesus said, he that believeth on me and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth on me and is baptized. Now, some of our brothers take that and run to the ridiculous with it. You can get saved in the middle of the desert and never see water. But if you have an opportunity, <laughs> that's when it ought to take place. And the Holy Spirit prompts that. People know that. I'm not telling you something that we just glean out of the Word, although that's where it's founded, but God puts that in the heart of a person, that that's a need to do that. People just have a need to be clean in the natural. A person who likes to be dirty, uh, some of these truckers who are mothers, that, that's satanic. People who wallow like to wallow in, in filth and mud. I've seen women wrestlers in mud pits wrestling to the delight of men surrounding them. Can I tell you that's, as Hagen says, that's, that's uh, ignorance gone to seed. That's perversion gone to seed. First of all, they've taken one of the most beautiful things in the world, the body of a woman. And they've taken what God put into that beautiful creation and they put it into the mud pits. 
to the viewing of men. And you know you can have different kinds of mud on you. Mud comes in all kinds of filth. Can, you can be dressed in all kinds of finery, but yet it can be filthy. As filthy rags, Jesus said. And it's not a covering, it's a washing. Hallelujah. He that believeth and is baptized shall be delivered or saved. And Jesus said that immediately after the baptism, he was able then to go into the wilderness experience. Are you saying that you can't go into the wilderness experience until you're baptized? I don't think that you can. I don't think you can survive in the wilderness experience until you go through baptism. I just don't think you can make it in there. You can go to heaven, but I don't think you can make it through the wilderness experience until you go through that ritual of baptism, baptism, scriptural baptism, assuming again that it's available to us. Paul told the Ephesians, he might sanctify and cleanse it, you and me, and all of this with the washing of the water by the word. You see, something happens at scriptural baptism that happens at no other time. Romans 6, Paul told them, we are buried. You can't sprinkle and get buried. We are buried with him by baptism unto death. That like Christ was raised up, came out of. Sounds like when he came up from John, doesn't it? The scriptures agree. From the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Cleanse a new direction, a new light, a new purpose. And we identify with Christ after baptism. We are able to identify with him. Why? Because it says that it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. That's not just catch words on a phrase, on a page. It is your walking circumspect according to the progressions of God. We identify with Christ. And I believe that we can only identify with him fully as we walk through that door of baptism. And get the junk all of us. And it's through this then that we are in supernaturally impaired, uh, enabled to walk in the newness of life. It just said you had to go through it to walk in newness of life. If you're going to walk, if a baby's going to walk, it's got to get born. But then if it's going to walk, it says it's got to go through the baptism experience. If it fulfills, it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. You've got to do that. And we're bringing this to a close. A soul that hasn't gone through supernatural baptism always feels a deep need inside to do that. There's always that yearning to do that. How could these little kids, five and six years old, that we baptized, and one of them came to us, a precious little girl, hadn't been in church, didn't know much about the church, one of the first things she said after, after she got saved in that Sunday morning explosion back with Dr. K and the rest of the kids, the first, one of the first things she said was, I want to be baptized. How did she know that? Spirit of God prompted. Spirit of God speaking to a little kid. Spoke through a donkey. He can, he can get to any heart at the level that it will hear him. He can perfect his word through anybody that can has any deductive reasoning whatsoever in them. And people who are scripturally baptized always feel that need until that's accomplished. And is it any wonder that those people who don't baptize or who just sprinkle never come to spiritual maturity or fullness in Christ? Just look at the denominations. Let them run across your intellect. Those who refuse to baptize scripturally, they're always in contention. Some of the most contentious people in the world, those who, those who only sprinkle. Oh, they look good. They have some of the prettiest sanctuaries in the world. And a lot of them are on TV, but they don't have enough power or depth or spirituality to get a gnat saved or, or a or a flea clean. Why? Because they have elected from the pulpit to the last two. They have elected to discard and disregard what God says is the proper way to do this thing. 
There is a scripture of baptism that we must follow if we're going to be everything that God wants us to be. You cannot disobey His commands and have all the righteousness of God in your life. For He said, doing baptism, it becometh us to fulfill or let the righteousness process completely flow in our life. Once we go through the experience, we don't ever have to do it again. I know some people who've been baptized three and four and five times. And, you know, that's all right. God didn't fall off of his throne. <laughs> you just don't have to do it again. If you, if you truly got saved, okay, if you really understood who Jesus was, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son who ever believes him is not perished to have everlasting life. That's all you need to know to get saved. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. That you'll confess, confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you'll be saved. Very simple, right? Romans 9 and 10, the Roman road. We all use it. We all use it. Take those two little passages of Scripture and save the world. But once we go through that experience, we don't have to do it again. If it was according to the New Testament Scripture way, if it was a scriptural baptism, if it followed true conversion... If you were truly saved and were baptized, and if you were baptized in the name of Jesus and in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, if you were, had those two things, you don't really have to do that again. And, and the writer of Hebrews cleared this up for us in Hebrews 6 where he said, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ let us go on into perfection. Don't stay down in the water. Don't spend your time going back down into the water again. Or laying on the foundations of repentance from dead works and a faith turned toward God of the doctrines of baptisms. Plural. Baptism in water. And then after that, I believe baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as quickly as you can do them, praise God. If you can do them all in the same day or same service, that would be wonderful. I think that would be the, the, the most applicable way to do it is get them saved, baptize them, and then get them filled with the Holy Spirit by the baptism of the Holy Spirit and let them walk out as brand-new, supercharged, card-carrying, God-believing, devil-chasing, New Testament saints of the living God. Go out ready to do battle, and we can teach them then, and they can understand. They can, they're prepared to walk through their wilderness then. They're clean then. They can hear good God. They are ready then to walk into all the principles of righteousness with the Holy Spirit. Then it says, let us go on from dead works. It's time to get on with it. You say it's been 15, 20 years since I was baptized, and I haven't really been doing what you said, been talking about. Hey, there's no time with God. To God, it's just like you got saved yesterday. To you, it may seem like 10 or 15 years since you got baptized. If you haven't gone on with God, if you haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to speak in His fullness, but to God, it's just like a second ago. He says, if you'll do it, I'll do it. The moment that you decide that you're going to go on and fulfill all righteousness, allow me to work to fulfill all righteousness in your life, then you can go on from dead works toward God of the doctrine of baptisms by submersion in the Holy Spirit and go on to perfectness. Would you stand with me, please?